Daphne, you mind praying for us? Father, we thank you for this time to come together and, and be a family and to discuss you and your word. Uh, we hold precious these moments uh, that we get to see each other and focus on you. Uh, we pray that you be with Dean and all those that speak in this class and that uh, we all take something home uh, that we can put to work this week uh, for you and your kingdom. And it's through your son, Jesus, that we offer this prayer. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. Um, I was telling several in the back, uh, this weekend, um, got to do the first wedding that I've done since COVID that was close to normal. Now, a lot of young folks, so, you know, they, they came in, the masks were gone and all that, but it was actually, what was it, Melly? A couple hundred people? I mean, there was, it was a full room. Um, what was pretty cool to me, it was, it was a neat picture, so I always love when Melanie's there with me, especially ones like this where it was I was referred to these folks, so literally the only people I knew, and that was just barely, was the couple. So I'm like, please don't leave me hanging. She came, it was wonderful, so I can talk to Melanie and feel like I can connect. But there was one other couple that we knew there. We used to work with them, and I uh, did their wedding as well, and we're good friends. Um, hadn't seen them since COVID, so it was cool to reconnect. But it was kind of neat for me, because I'm thinking, you got this celebration of a brand new couple, just getting married, all the stuff that you talk about and you celebrate, and then it was cool because the, the couple that, you know, we'd done their premarital too and, and the wedding. And, and he said, half jokingly, they're fine, but he, half jokingly, he said, all right, we need to get together. It's about three and a half years. We need a reboot. <laughs> so it was kind of the cool reminder that like, yay, you know, just betting, you know, vows and rings and all that. Relationships are hard. Yes. <laughs> so we're reminded that three years in almost 30 years in, relationships are not natural in a broken, fallen world. You got to work at it just a little bit. And so we are at that place. You don't know. <laughs> Praise God for that. If you're, if you're streaming in, you didn't hear Albert say, after 65 years, we don't need a reboot, right? I, I will restrain. I could, I could riff off of that, but I won't. I, that's, that was wonderful. I'll just let that one sit. But, but here's the thing, we're, we're in that section where we got about a couple weeks left in, in looking at the book Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, exploring Christian community. What is it like to have authentic spiritual friendship and spiritual relationship with each other? And I think part of what he's, you know, we, we said this last week too, we're getting to kind of the PhD level of stuff. We're getting to the kind of things that you could share. This isn't um, wedding day kind of relationship stuff. It's getting a little bit deeper. And so last time we talked about the ministry of, he called it taming the tongue, uh, restraining our speech, and then moving from that to listening. Um, and then he moves to a couple more uh, here, and you'll see the first one is the kind of thing you would think, yeah, yeah, this is natural for Christian community. I really want to lean into the second thing he talks about. But let's, let's start with the uh, scripture we're going to look at. Very, very familiar scripture. We, we referred to this um, when we looked at uh, the... Um, connection around the, the table, but I want to go back for a different reason. Again, I found this to be true. Reading a scripture that you've read a hundred times, but if you read it with a different angle or perspective, or sometimes in a different physical place, right? This is uh, Josh Graves talks about this a lot. If you read the book of James, by the way, in a, a community of poverty, you will hear things you would not hear sitting in the middle of Franklin. Does that make sense? So I I want to read this very familiar story, but I want to read it in light of watch Jesus in these relationships 
that he's really investing in, right? Jesus loved everybody, but like Will talked about this morning, we're now looking at Jesus's relationship with the disciples, the inner core of disciples, that we're talking close family covenant relationship folks, right? So again, we'll read this familiar passage, but be thinking, what can we learn about how Jesus deals with and interacts with um, uh, relationships on a deep level? So turn to Mark chapter 6. Um, mentioned this again a couple weeks ago. Incredibly significant story, the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels other than the resurrection is the feeding of the 5,000, we, we know it as. Um, so let's look at Mark 6, uh, verse 30. I want to read this text, and again, what do you notice? I will turn it to, you know, some focus that connects us to Bonhoeffer stuff, but let's start out with, what do you notice? Jesus and relationships, anything here. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. <clears throat> the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Pause. What are they, what are they reporting about? Two things very, very significant have just happened in the story. Um, one, what they're talking about is Jesus has sent them out on what scholars call the limited commission. At the end of the Gospels, you have the Great Commission go into all the world. Here in the story, you have the limited commission where Jesus says, go only to the house of Israel, go to some Jewish folks, tell the story. I'm going to show up pretty quickly. So he sends them out two by two. You've heard the story before. Don't take a extra purse or sandals. I don't know why the disciples guys are have a purse anyway, but you know what I mean? They're going out and interacting. Then they come back and report on the ministry they've done. So picture a short-term mission trip. They come back and they're telling the story. That's story number one. The other thing that is behind this is Jesus is in mourning and grief. He's a human being. He's fully human. And his cousin, John the Baptist, has just been assassinated. Herod decapitates him, right? Because he gets drunk at a party and wants to show off. So all of that's going on in this, the back of this story. So pick it back up again. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went out by themselves in a boat to a solitary desert place. We've picked up on that word before in silence and solitude conversation. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he ran away because he was tired and didn't want to talk to people. No, hold on. He landed and saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, <clears throat> so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they could go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go out and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. And then Jesus directed them, to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave it to his disciples to distribute to all the people. He also divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish, 
and the number of the men who had eaten were ten or 5,000. So I don't know why they didn't count women and children, but uh, so we're thinking 10,000 or so people at least that are there. Um, so there's the story. We've heard it before. What, what do you notice? Anything that you notice all um, that God's speaking to you, we can keep it that general, or in particular about Jesus and relationships and all of that. Rich story. What do you notice? I just know at the end of the day, sometimes um, feeling that weariness of like, oh, yes, we've done yes. all the things and you still need to cook dinner for your family and you still need to be, you know, available to your kids and your spouse. And it's tiring. And Jesus in his weariness, he taught and fed, which is big enough because sometimes yeah. that's real hard. Right. But he also did it with compassion yes and that is what overwhelmed me like yeah. he didn't just teach and feed and be like i've done it yeah. but he did it with compassion so beautiful yes because sometimes you know i'll do the right thing but i'll do it begrudgingly and i'm grumbling the whole time right that's beautiful to bring that out not only did he do it he did it with a spirit that was kind of driven to make that connection with folks it's funny, as soon as you were saying that, I was thinking of uh, one of our discipleship groups, and some of the guys were talking, and, and ladies, you can laugh, and you, 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 you picture this. Um, these two guys are both, they have, both have pretty young kids, and they were talking about the experience they had. When they come, they, they worked a long day, and they're hard, and they come home, and nobody says anything, but their wives just hand them the two kids. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> so you can picture what's going on, they just hand, and he's like, look, I've had a hard day too. Like, you have no idea, right? So it's one of those days, isn't it? Like, They've been, like, casting demons out, right? Don't miss that part of the story. They're, they're serving in such a way. They're casting out demons. Anybody that's taught, if you, if you teach and you're in it, you know, you're kind of spent when you're done. Jesus is doing that. And then all of a sudden, it's like God hands them 10,000 kids, right? So beautiful, beautiful. Phil, yes. Uh, well, I observed in this that uh, fish sandwiches are a holy food. <laughs> Yes, McDonald's, McFish, or whatever. We just saw that. There's a thing every, on the History Channel. Every that. Wednesday night before we come to You do fish. Class. Where, where do you do your fish sandwiches? Pardon? Where do you do your fish sandwiches? McDonald's. You do? <laughs> that's, awesome. that's awesome. I, I still think that's funny, by the way. You, I'm sure you've heard the story by now. They, they were trying to compete. It turns out with Burger King. That's part I didn't know. This is a new thing on the History Channel, the history of food. And Burger King, when they came out with a Whopper, McDonald's is like, well, we don't have a little named thing. So before the Big Mac, they had the McFish or whatever it is. Um, and they did that. That's for religious reasons, because at that time, Catholics didn't eat meat on, on Friday. So I just, it's cool, man. Weird church things that, that come up. Were you going to say something? Oh, you're just holding the thing. Okay. Uh, other, other reactions. It's a rich story. It's a rich story. Yes, Ken. struck by the passion that the people had to learn. Ooh, the passion for learning? Yes, I mean, they ran. They were energetic, and so two things. One, you have pupils who are ready to learn, yeah. and therefore a teacher willing to teach. Yes. But it was passion. Like, I respond well to people who come to me passionately asking. Ooh, I love that. I would think Jesus would have been more easily persuaded Mm. Here he is going away, trying to find solitude. Yes. Something swayed him to do something totally different. Uh, 
But it's like a child. One of my children coming and wanting to know something. I don't care how tired I am. Yeah. If that child is coming and asking, it's amazing how renewed in energy I can become. Yes. Just an that, observation. That's me. wonderful. Yes. Yeah. They, they are hungry in every sense of the word at the beginning of the story, right? I love this. It's passion for learning. Also, uh, again, I don't like to do this a lot. I want to look at the story we're looking at, but you can kind of import what's going on in the book of John here just to understand the humanity of it. Part of the reason they're running is because they want food. <laughs> I mean, that's part of what's going on. Jesus will say, you're coming to me not because you want to hear what I have to say, but because you ate and your, your bellies are full or whatever. Now, that's not all there is because we, we also know from this and other stories, the prediction in the Old Testament is that there will be a prophet, Moses says, like me, who will come, and you're going to listen to them. One of the marks, and this is part of the hunger that is real, I think, that you're bringing out here, Ken. One of the marks of Messiah is that he would be like Moses, and they're saying he's going to, he's going to feed with miraculous bread too, and Jesus does. Again, this is one of the reasons why this story is packed with significance. It's not Jesus, Jesus has a big potluck moment. It is Jesus is stepping into the Old Testament vision of the prophet who will come. And he's going to do Moses-like things. He's also stepping into the vision of the shepherd. I think we've talked about this before. Why does Mark and nobody else include one adjective in this story that nobody else does? Did you notice? Jesus doesn't just have them sit down on the grass. Where does he have them sit? On the green grass. Why is that significant? You've prayed the prayer perhaps before. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Jesus is deliberately stepping into the role of the prophet and the shepherd who is going to feed and nurture the people. And so this is what I love, Ken, that you bring out. I think there's a theme throughout the book of Mark here. Because you'll see it again and again and again. Jesus goes in and teaches in the synagogue, and he'll do this and that. And there's a line that comes up at least three times, I think, in the book of Mark. It says, they were amazed. Why, Albert? Because he taught like one with authority, not the scribes and the Pharisees. They weren't just hungry for bread. They were hungry for someone to teach in a way that took the word of God and put it in everyday life and made it come alive. And the Pharisees apparently had gotten to such a rut. And churches can do this sometimes. We're teaching the word of God and probably what's said is true. But it's not alive with the spirit of God. And Jesus is teaching them in ways that they're running. Because their souls are starving and not just their stomach. So important. Thank you, Ken. That is a huge theme in the book of Mark. Jesus taught unlike other people. So that even when he speaks, it arouses within them a hunger to respond to that. Uh, I thought somebody would have... Yes. Is it on? Yeah. Sorry. You're good. Uh, we, we use this story a lot in the recovery process and, and try and point out that um, Jesus was concerned about um, bring me what you have. Yes. Don't yes. concentrate on what you don't have. Yes. But just, you know, bring me what you have and let's see together if we can do something with it. Absolutely, absolutely. By the way, I'm struck by this. Um, I think we can serve and minister to each other in the moment. This will fit in where Bonhoeffer is going. Uh, as a lot of you guys know, Keith has spent a lot of his work in recent years bringing recovery and scripture to people in prisons and jails, halfway houses recently. And um, two things have happened recently. One, COVID shut down his opportunity to get into the into the jail that's going to be opening up fairly soon but it's still there and then i think you told me recently 
that there was a place you were doing this and they shut you down because it is Christian based. Celebrate recovery, right? They said, we can't do that. Can we just, can you join me in a moment? I'm just praying. Can God opens doors? God, can you open the door to the jail? Literally open the door and send him back where he can serve. And God, can you work in such a way that if that door shuts, something else opens up for the people that need that? Can we just join in that? Thank you for the ministry you're doing. Fits beautifully what we're talking about. Uh, let, me, let, me, uh, let me drop in um, a couple thoughts on, on Bonhoeffer here. All right, so remember, we're in the section called ministry, or your translation may say service. Um, and so part of what we do in Christian community, we minister and serve. We use the gifts that we have to serve each other. So the ministry we talked last time is holding your tongue and listening. That is a ministry we do to each other. But he moves on to the ministry of help, active helpfulness. Active helpfulness. The basic ministry we do for each other. There are others, but the basic one is we have gifts and abilities and resources somebody else doesn't in the community. We give what we have and we're actively helpful to other people. Let me, let me share a couple of his specific words uh, on page 99 in, in uh, my translation. To begin with, we have in mind simple assistance, listen to this, in minor external matters. You don't have to do epic world-changing things. If there's a need, we meet it. You see Jesus do this all the time. Again, the book of Mark's a great example of this. He's on the way to Jerusalem. He's going to die for the sins of the world. Bartimaeus cries out for help on the street. The disciples say, shut up. We're, going, we're doing important things. Jesus says, bring him to me. Children are crying out to be blessed for Jesus. The disciples say, get them away. Jesus says, bring them to me. Jesus is not above menial tasks to help other people. Jesus has lost his cousin. They are going to report on their mission trip. That's really important church stuff. And people come out hungry here and here. And Jesus says, I'm going to use what I have to actively help them. That's powerful, isn't it? Now listen to this. There are many such things wherever people live together and nobody is too good for the lowest service. Those who worry about the loss of time entailed by such small external acts of helpfulness are usually taking their own work too seriously. <laughs> Isn't that great? Don't take yourself, I've got these great things to do. Now, there are times, we need to, this is important for, for those who, like me, from time to time struggle with codependence, can't say no. There are times when Jesus says no in order to stay in solitude, all right? There are times when they come out to try to make him king and they want to, they want to boost his ego and do all that kind of stuff. And he said, no, my mission is to go to that town and I'm, not, I'm going to stay in solitude and move on. So there's balance here. The Holy Spirit will guide in that. But in moments when someone has a need and we can meet it and it's not killing us or taking us away from the purpose of God, he says, get off your high horse and, and do, the, do the job. Does that make sense? Um, I'll go to the next one in a second. But um, uh, this goes to what Keith was saying. I, Again, I've taught on this before, but I love disciples' first response is, we don't have enough money to give to these people. And Jesus said, I didn't ask you for money. I asked you what you've got. Okay, what do you have that you can contribute to the goods of the other people? And they said, I don't know. We got five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And Jesus says, great, that's enough. Give it to me and we'll get it done. What do you have? If we focus on our inability to meet the needs we've heard about the last couple of weeks in terms of the community, then we are not going to be able to do the work of God. If we say, here's what we've got, and again, put the last two weeks together. Here's the rich history we have of prayer and worship and commitment to the word of God, and we put that in the mix. Watch what God will do to meet the needs of the community. Albert, you're going to share something. Well, here's a big faith issue. 
It's, it's, a, a, it's a tremendous faith issue with the apostles. Yeah. Now, they had, they looked at what they had, but not what was possible. Yeah. And, and I think that the, I think that the food was multiplied after they had just the little things in their hands. Absolutely. But why did they pick up 12 baskets when it was over with? Yes. Confirming yeah. and affirming as they hauled away a basket apiece from the miracle. And so here is a real faith issue. Absolutely. Yes. Do we believe God can take the little scraps we've got and make it make a difference? Yeah. As you're walking down with Emily. I heard that one of the sermons I love, Keith down here up front. Um, I heard a sermon on this one time and what a great line just stuck with me. Isn't it beautiful our God gives leftovers? <laughs> he has leftovers. There's enough. There is not scarcity in the kingdom of God. There is abundance, right? Yes. Oh, man, sorry, you're firing me up because I am thinking about the, man, the rich man and Jesus, like, you know, he's like, I've done all the things. What do you want? Give all you have, you know, come follow me. Yeah. And then talking about the lack of faith, like, why don't we do that? Yeah. Why do we give our leftovers? And you're just firing me up because you're like, he didn't set them on, like, the dust. He didn't give his leftovers. It was like, no, you take that, the best seed. You take the cushiest grass. You take the better. Yes. And something I recently heard that was just super convicting for me was somebody um, mentioned the story of this rich young ruler and how Jesus, he was able to walk away when that person didn't right. say, I'll give you everything. And what he said was so convicting to me. He said, I would have probably run after him and said, can I just have 10%? And, like, that's not what God wants Ooh, from us. And I'm saying it to myself. Like, it convicted me. I'm not calling anybody else out. Yeah. I'm calling myself out. But Jesus wants you to have the cushy grass. Yes. And just how he multiplies that if we're willing to trust that yep. given more than the least of us, yeah. we'll multiply it and multiply it. So powerful. And it fits the story here, too, doesn't it? Because they didn't have a whole lot. But how much did they give Jesus? They didn't have a lot, but what did they give him? Everything. And remember, they're hungry. They've come back from the mission trip, right? This is, we've handed off the kids. Now we get a chance to get a look. And they haven't had anything. So whatever they've got, they give it to him. And Jesus will take what we have and do phenomenal things. The other thing, it just popped in my head. I don't know if this is a, a worthy rabbit to chase, but I think so. Um, what struck me, too, the beauty of, of what Tim shared this morning is, uh, and I put this together with what came out with the first part of the report, right, um, Nancy, that uh, one of the things that the demographics of our community is becoming more affluent and more white, right? Isn't that what you said? Okay. So one of the things that tells us is let's minister to that. There are people who are literally dying in their affluence because they're hungry because they're not being taught that thing that is life-giving. We're being taught the American dream and all that stuff. Will leave. So that's one lesson. The other one, though, I put together with this week that was certainly true back then and probably more so to some degree that there is more reasons to be divided black and white. And yet, even back then, there was a way that God bridged the gap. So we can come and say, look, we're pretty much all white church and we're in a pretty affluent community. It would be easy for us to say, therefore, we don't have to do anything for the poor or we don't have to do anything to try to cross bridges and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. Maybe we can take whatever we've got Put it in the hands of God and see what he might do that might astound us. 
and walk away each with something overflowing, right? So I, I don't know, that just popped in my head. Maybe that's something worth praying into as we keep discerning into the community. Yes, David. By the way, I just love reading scripture with you guys. I just love it. My Holy Spirit just speaks through all of you. It's beautiful. Yeah, just wanted to, um, a thought keeps coming to my mind um, uh, that the re relationships and the need for us to be involved in, the, in, in one another's lives and in the lives of people to make a difference is never limited by resource. Ooh. And a personal testimony to share about that. Um, um, when when Becky and I, we were, we were five years into our, our mission in Togo, and we began to get these pushes from people we knew. At that point, we didn't think it was from the Spirit of God, but we kept getting these pushes from people we knew to start thinking about going to Rwanda when we were finished in Togo. Hmm. I was not enjoying Togo at the time. <laughs> and in my mind, I was like, I'm not going to do that. Well, yeah. that, that message just kept being pushed and pushed mm. and pushed and pushed on us by mentors and fellow colleagues in Togo yeah. to think about that. Um, in my mind, I was like, we don't really have the money for the ticket. We don't to do this. It was about a research trip to Rwanda to kind right. of just consider it. Uh, we came back on furlough, and I thought, that's done. They're going to go and do that trip. Um, but I kept getting these calls from people. Mm. And I, so I finally, I got exasperated. I was just sick of being cold and asked. And I said, look, if God wants to give the money for that trip, then Ooh, I'll do it. That's good. Well, be careful. <laughs> be careful what you ask for. And be, <laughs> That's careful, right. and be careful how we think in terms of the money. And, you know, I, these stories in the Bible where the Spirit of God just drops these amounts of money in the story. Yeah, yeah. That we kind of read past sometimes. And right. it's a weird word. We don't think about it. Yep. The money that they mentioned in this story was a lot of money. Yeah. It was a significant yes. amount yes. of money. Um, but we're on furlough, and I'm still getting pestered. I, I felt anyway. Um, I said that. And then we are out visiting Becky's family's little Kathy's Creek Church out in Hampshire, Tennessee. And uh, her second cousin walks up, the treasurer of the church, and says, I'm not really sure why I'm supposed to do this, but I felt like I needed to write this check. It wasn't a whole dollar amount. It was like like $1,200 and 71 cents or something <laughs> like that. I love Hands that. me the check, and I was like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with this get a call again the pestering i said let's look up the cost it was to the penny come on oh i love it of the amount that they put in that he put in my <laughs> hands in that check praise god for that that to me i'm just sharing a testimony of the fact that yes our resources will not should not cannot dictate yes, yes, how yes, we yes. react how we get ready to impact and be in the lives of people oh, thank you david that's beautiful it's beautiful and, and by the way this is one of the things uh, i've heard several of you that that have been um really intrigued by bonhoeffer are reading his more classically known book which is called cost of discipleship one of the things you just said is an example of what he will talk about there he talks about the power of obedience i might have sh shared this but let me let me uh, let me expand on it if i have um again i grew up in an environment obedience was like oh, I have to do this or I'm going to hell or God's mad at me. No, he talks about obedience as an opportunity to experience the wonder of God. And so he will say, um, in, that, in that text, I think he's talking about when Jesus calls them initially and says, leave your nets and follow me. Um, but all along the journey with God, there will be times when the Holy Spirit will convict. It will be reading of scripture. It could be through community. 
there will be this nudge. I love the way you talk about that. Where you have to discern it. I appreciate it takes time. You said, I don't know. This sounds like coming from people. But then, okay, we discern this out. This is God. Pay attention to the calls of God in our lives. It's not just to come become a Christian. The next stage of our relationship, the depths of our relationship, God wants to invite us into the next experience of his heart, his wonder, his passion, his love. It will often be unlocked only as we respond in obedience. doesn't mean you're going to hell if you don't. But it, here's an opportunity. Does it make sense? So in this story, Jesus, elsewhere it says, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to do this. But what does he say? He looks him in the eye and said, you feed them. You do it. I'm like, what? And somehow they, they found a way to obey that, even though they had no concept that it would actually work. Here's five things of bread and a couple, like, this is not going to work, but they obeyed him. And one of the things that's great, we're going we're gonna to look at, at the, the disciples in a couple episodes after this. And the book of Mark is a great place to feel good about yourself as a disciple because they, they're missing it all the time. I mean, they're always screwing up. But here's what I love about these guys. They'll screw up with complete abandon and faithfulness. <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm doing, but here you go. Like, you know? And that's the heart Jesus can work with. We don't have to have it all figured out or together. But if we're, we're surrendered... To him, amazing things will happen. Thank you for that very personal testimony of how that works here. Second thing I'll point out in this section is, and this is straight from him on page 99, the willingness to be interrupted. The willingness to be interrupted. Um, and I'm just going to read this, this section here. I think it's powerful. Again, Jesus had a vision for the day. He was pretty set on what he was going to do. And he... Again, the discernment of the Holy Spirit. In other settings, no, I'm going to stay with this. In this setting, I think something in the Spirit of God told Jesus, no, feed these folks. And then it unpacks this thing that's an incredible moment, right? But listen to this. We must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. <laughs> I love this. Who will thwart our plans and frustrate our ways time and again. <laughs> Even daily, listen to this, by sending people across our path with their demands and requests. This is great. We can then pass them by, preoccupied with our more important daily tasks, just as the priest, perhaps reading the Bible, passed the man who had fallen among the robbers. When we do that, and again, a quick reminder, sometimes we're called to do that and stay with what God, but he's talking about, I think, those times when we know, you know when you're called to step out and help and respond. When we do that, we pass by the visible sign of the cross raised in our lives to show us that God's way, and not our own, is what counts. It is a strange fact that of all people, Christians and theologians often consider their work so important and so urgent that they do not want to let anything interrupt it. And skipping down, he says, but it's part of the discipline of humility that we must not hold back our help when we can perform a service and that we do not assume that our schedule is ours to manage, but allow it to be arranged by God. Isn't that powerful? So the way I've, I've thought about this before is sometimes what looks like the interruption may actually be God's mission for the day. And again, this takes discernment because sometimes it is focused and say, no, I have to keep doing this. So picture Nehemiah. Sometimes the word of God is Nehemiah. No, I'm going to stay on this wall and I'm not getting off of it. But then there are other times when, oh, the calling of God is to go and engage Bartimaeus. The calling of God is to go and say, okay, we had a plan here for just us, but no, we're going to invite the 10,000 in and we're going to do something, right? 
So pay attention to that. The willingness to be interrupted on our way, um, I think, is a great challenge from Bonhoeffer. Any other thoughts on this one? We're going to expand it to a couple other stories after. I've got a thought, Dean. Yes. On um, more to do with the, the feeding, the five thousand. It keeps coming to me, and this is going to loop around. I was uh, pulling weeds yesterday in my tulip bed, and I got the thought of the parable of the weeds. Well, I got to praying about it while I was out there pulling weeds. Instead of getting irritated by the weeds, I was starting <laughs> to get fed by the word. Oh, and that brings me to the posture of the expectation of the, the word of God. It feeds our soul. So instead of me getting irritated with this because I was my back was hurting and my hands were hurting, I said, Lord, please help me finish this task. Mm. You help me put these bulbs in the ground. I need to do this task. I don't want to do this task. That's and good. then I mean the spirit of God just kept wow. filling me with the word of God. And it was a beautiful thing. Keith comes down the hill and he says, what's going on? I said, you won't believe it, but. I have been spoken to by the Spirit of God the whole time. I've been doing this. My hands were hurting. Wow. Now my hands are not hurting. My back's not hurting. Not to belabor the point, but I mean, it's a whole posture of being fed by the Word of God. We sit down, and we should be expected, expectant to be fed, not to sit down and learn or or you know analyze something, but to have a synthesis of it to mm -hmm. actually be fed. That's so and that's what happened to me right there in the middle of those weeds <laughs> and those tulips. So that's awesome. Anyway, it was a beautiful Thank thing. You. Thank you, Kimberly. Can I just say, one of the things I love so much about what you share here is how integrated with everyday life your faith is. And that's, it's not just coming here Sunday, we get our little fix and we go on our way. God wants to engage us. By the way, that also shows how much more holy you are than I am. The way I would apply the weeds parable, Jesus says, don't pull them out now. Wait till later. Amen. That's my thing. Just let them grow. We'll, we'll deal with them later. That's my application of that story, but you're, you're more holy than I am. All right. Now, what's interesting, again, in the book of Mark, sometimes we look at individual um, uh, passages, which is totally fine, but every now and then it's helpful to kind of, you know, ease the camera back and see a broader lens of what happens. This is not the last time that Jesus does something like this and or the last time that this metaphor of feeding and nurturing the hungry it becomes important. So, and, and I thought it was a perfect example. Again, the book of Mark does this better than most um, for what I would say that the next ministry is that, um, that Bonhoeffer will talk about. So flip forward to, to Mark 8. Marvin, can I do something at the end of, end of 6 for, yep. before we do that? When he then, go, he, after he feeds the people, then he goes into the mountain to pray. He puts them in a boat, and in the middle of the night, the third, uh, third hour, there's a storm, and he appears as, and they think it's a ghost. And, and, uh, and, he's, and he's, they were terrified. At the verse 50, they were terrified. They cried out. And immediately he spoke to them, take courage, it is I. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died. And they were completely amazed because they had not understood about the loaves. <laughs> yes. How could they have just, that mirror, the miracle of feeding 5,000, and the fact that even had that, how soon that faith was challenged, and they had forgotten about the loaves. Absolutely. That's where we're going. There's a couple, thank you for bringing that one in. Here's a couple more. All right, so look at chapter 8. Uh, we'll just kind of skim this, but 
you know, look at the heading in your Bible. You'll say, right, what happened the last time? Jesus fed 5,000, really 10,000. And then a lot of people don't realize there's, a, there's another encounter in chapter 8. Uh, Jesus feeds 4,000. We'll just kind of skim through it. But during those days, another large crowd gathered. Mark 8, verse 1. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus calls his disciples and said, I have compassion, Emily, for these people. For they've already been with me for three days and had nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. The disciple answered. What should they answer right now? What should they say? Well, here's what they say. Where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? What? Are you serious? Jesus is calling. Somebody get that. Um, what does he ask? Same thing he asked for. How many loaves do you have? All right? We, we got to do this again. Again, parents, you know what's going on here, right? Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he does it, and the same thing happens, and there's, you know, leftovers and all that. All right, so happens once, happens twice. Now, now look at what happens immediately next. Verse 11. Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. Can we just stop for a second? Jesus, we don't know whether to believe you or not. Can you do, I don't know, some miraculous sign? Really? I thank God this next phrase is in the Bible. <sighs> right? He sighed deeply. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. And said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Other places he says a little bit more about no sign. Or did one, too. Then he left them, got in the boat, crossed the other side. Okay, at least we're back with our guys that get it, right? The disciples had forgotten to bring bread. <laughs> you just got to enjoy it. Like, it's, enjoy it. It's okay. It's, yes, it's a holy book, and it's real. It's human. Except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. He's a great teacher. So what's he going to do? He's going to use metaphors. He's going to paint with pictures. Be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And they discussed this with one another and said, it's because we've got no bread. Please, if you're not laughing, you're not getting the story, all right? So aware of their discussion, <laughs> Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Yes, I do, Jesus. Thank you. And don't you remember? And so what does he do? Good parents, what do you do? You walk them through it. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you give up, pick up? They answered seven. And he said, do you still not understand? End of story. I thank God that this story is in there. I'll, I'll share with you what I do with it. What do you do with this? Now, I added some dramatic readings of it, and that's probably my take that's a little less patient than Jesus. But it's in there. What, what do you hear in this story? And I think it's a powerful part of our ministry. You'll see Bonhoeffer will bring out. But what do you notice in this story? Yeah, 
they thought, okay, they're still thinking in that, David, limited resource mode, right? So some of that they're still thinking in that, right? By the way, it's not just them. The Pharisees. I mean, have you ever done like some of the best work of your life? Have you ever had one of these moments? It could be as a parent, could be in a project, could be something, the best work of your life, and then it, somebody's just like, not only do they don't get it, it's just like the opposite, right? You know what I'm saying? It could be any number of things. Like Jesus has just done the epic miracle that is recorded in all the Gospels. It's symbolic back to the Old Testament. It projects forward to the coming of the kingdom of God, the banquet feast and all that, right? And he's like, so first of all, the folks he's trying to reach with the Pharisees and the religious, give us a sign. Are you serious? I literally just did the sign, right? It's one of the, the seven signs in the book of John. Like it's a key thing and they don't get it. And then the disciples, he's working with them and they don't get it. What is this? Let me tell you, one of the things that I love so much about Jesus, because he models all of these ministries, right, that he's talking about. So listen to this one. Just take this in. So helping, yeah, we expect that to be on the list. I think this is one of the PhD ministries we do for each other. What does Bonhoeffer call this? The ministry of bearing one another. The ministry of bearing. This is where, Keith, the other translation you and I use calls it support. No, 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 no. Let's keep it with the original bearing. Don't sometimes we have to bear with each other a little bit? One second. I don't feel bear with one another in love. Paul will say this. It's all throughout. And so I could have gone to that passage that he quotes, but I thought, let's just look at how Jesus did it. Here's one of the things that's marvelous about Jesus. He brought 12 crazy guys along with him for the ride, and he put up with them for three long years one of the greatest ministries of jesus christ to dean Barron is he puts up with and i said this in the wedding yesterday one of the greatest things you do for your wife or your husband is you put up with them amen right we should be laughing all along and we're groaning too because we know this but hear me this is so important especially in the bible belt where if somebody makes you mad you can leave and go to another church there are times we're called to that, but more often than not, we are called to the ministry of bearing one another. Because it is in that place, is it, isn't it the exact equivalent? How is it possible that five loaves of bread and two fish can feed 5,000 people? How is it possible, people? Say it, please. How is it possible? The power of God alone. Hear me. How is it possible to bear with another annoying human being? It takes the same Holy Spirit-inspired miracle for you to put up with me. It is certainly true for that woman to put up with me. And to flourish in our relationship. I think that's why he does it. I've said this before. Why in the world would Jesus make his leadership team comprised of a terrorist and a tax collector, right? Israeli parliament and Al-Qaeda were on his leadership team. I'm telling you, tax collector and a zealot and the Jewish people, he, I believe this, intentionally puts us together in part so that we will fight. I know that sounds crazy, but I believe it because the only way that a spiritual community will actually hold together and thrive is if we say, I can't put up with you on my own and I'm, I'm saying that half-jokingly, but here's the real beauty, and he'll say this. 
I can't see the wonder and the delight and the miracle that is your unique life without surrendering to the power of God so I get past me. I'll get myself. I want to read Bonhoeffer's then and we'll get other comments on this. But here's what he says on this. I think this is absolutely life-changing if we hear what he's saying to us. He says, pagans can walk away from relationships. What makes you and I different as followers of Jesus from everybody else in the world? Because somebody ticks them off, somebody unfriends them, fine, we're just gone. This is what he says. But Christians must bear the burden of one another. They must suffer and endure one another. <laughs> Only as a burden is the other really a brother and sister and not just, listen to this, an object to be controlled. The burden of human beings was even for God so heavy that God had to go to the cross suffering under it. And God truly suffered and endured human beings in the body of Jesus Christ. But in so doing, God bore them as a mother carries her child as a shepherd, the lost lamb. God bore the burden for us so that we might see by his power, who we really were created to be. Does that make sense? And as we practice that in a spiritual community, it will happen. Last thing I'll say, and then Mike, you can have the last word. Um, the only way that we're able to do this is by taking seriously what it says in Scripture. Forgive one another how? Say it again loud and proud, Albert. Even as God in Christ has forgiven you, the only way I can put up with another human being is by turning, oh my gosh, God, what did you have to bear for me? And it puts us all on a level playing field. I've taken us a little bit long. Michael, you give us the last word. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I want to really give the last word <laughs> unless I just start another conversation. Um, but I will say something about what really is a thread through here that the apostles couldn't get and might have fed into Jesus' frustration is that he comes walking on the water. I think it's Job 3 says that pretty much only God can walk on the water. I think pretty much you're right. <laughs> and, he, and he comes back and he says, take courage, it is I. Some people translate the same thing as I am speaking, I'm God. Peter confesses, you can come in, we're wrapping Yeah, Peter confesses that he's the Messiah. And then you get to the transfiguration and something marvelous happens again. And because of them still being part of Dirty Dozen, even at that time, they could not give it. I understand what the transfiguration is about. Look, I'm going to die Moses and Elijah brought me to this point. It's all about my glorification, and I'm going to die. And they still can never swallow still it, even it. after yeah. seeing these things. That's right. So, Father God, we thank you for this. Apologize to all of you that kept you long. But, Father, thank you. I just, I can't personally thank you enough for, for bearing with me and bearing with us in the kingdom of God. Thank you, Jesus for staying with your disciples until the power of the resurrection changes them and everybody around them. And that's what we pray, Father, that as we bear with each other in love, that you are transforming us in the power of your resurrection to do the very same thing for the community in which we are found. In the glorious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you. A wonderful conversation.